Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. I'd like to welcome you back. I'm the Reverend Michael Norton, and we're here today. You won't believe this. You won't believe this. Brace yourself. I think we're on episode 55 here, and we are returning to St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle, Six Mansions, Chapter 1, Part 2. That's right. We're on the big Part 2. This is actually going to evolve into a Part 3. There was a lot of material in this particular mansion of Chapter 1, Six Mansions, Chapter 1. I thought I was going to breeze through it, but she started going in detail about her issues she had with spiritual confessors and spiritual directors. I think that was an important issue to dive into. We'll find out why here. That it's not addressed in church today. We have a lot of people running around going, you know, I'm a general, I'm a general prof- you know, prophecy and I'm prophetic and I'm a general in deliverance and all this stuff. And there's no humility and there's no real spiritual director sitting above them helping them dial back into humility or help them point out there's things that are going on that are of your soul and are not of God here. And we just don't do that. And it kind of gets to be a circus, the kind of things I've been pointing out now. So I, this is going to be one of the longest St. Teresa of Avila's we've been into. I'm not going to have the spiritual exercise at the end because of a ton of slides, but it's going to really impact a very powerful point I need to drive home about the necessity for spiritual directors. And I've seen some people on the net now that are calling themselves spiritual directors, but they're not in this sense because they don't have the supernatural experiences these directors had and mystical experiences. They're like they're more like life coaches calling themselves spiritual directors. So be aware of that. All right. It's a life coach now, is what a spiritual director is now, but that's not what they were. They are people guiding souls through powerful spiritual experiences to help them determine what was supernatural and what was of the soul. And we're gonna dive into that here today. Good stuff. Good, good stuff. So again, we're in the interior castle, six mansions, chapter one, part two. Let's do a quick recap of the fifth mansions, the prayer of union, the prayer of wills. That's where we're in the fifth mansions, right? And that's where we left off too. We left off part one of six mansions, chapter one, sometime back. So we'll do a little recap on what's going on here. So in these mansions regarding um, the fifth Fifth and sixth mansions. In these mansions, God enters the inner sanctum soul so deeply when it returns to itself, the soul has no doubt whatsoever that it shared an experience with God of mutual dwelling. And this is a quote that comes out of the book Interior Castle, the classic text with spiritual commentary. Great book, page 123, author is Dennis Billy. I strongly suggest you go out and pick up that book as well. It's good stuff here. Good stuff. So again, the soul, God enters the inner sanctum of the soul so deeply that when it returns to itself, it has no doubt whatsoever that God shared experience of mutual dwelling. This is where you're developing a relationship in prayer with God. You just know what happens. Like I said, it's very subtle. Oh my God, God just checked in and checked out. That was insanely cool, right? Um, It's very subtle. Sometimes we have to process it. Sometimes we have to go talk to a spiritual director like, was this really an experience I had, or was it of the soul? 
our soul does. Our soul makes stuff up, unfortunately. And that's something you have to learn early on, learn to hear from God. And that's why we need like spiritual directors or need at least a mentor, somebody that's farther down the road with you and hearing God. Like, no, that wasn't God. And it just just deal with it, right? Because that's how you learn. It's it's learning to ride a bike and you fall off your bike, you get skinned up, go, well, that's kind of a bummer. I thought I was hearing God. And you you were pieces of it, but we have to dial out what the soul wants to contribute. And that's very important here as we move along into the mystical um, mansions of the six mansions on up. So I'm going to do another six mansions introduction because it's been some time. If you're not playing these consecutively or you're just dialing back into where we're picking up. So Teresa devotes 11 chapters to the six mansions, by far the longest and most developed section in the entire treatise. In them, she examines the prayer of spiritual betrothal, the mystical state that flows directly from the prayer of union, the stage of souls, inner journey has a lot to do with rarefied mystical experiences such as locutions, visions, both intellectual, imaginative, and raptures. I discussed a little bit about um, visions and locutions back in the previous fireside chat. I think it was episode 54. Go back and look at that. It's kind of a prelude to what we're talking about here. Raptures is something different. Raptures are where God literally either picks you up in the soul the spirit and takes you somewhere or he physically lifts your body yes yeah, like a levitation um and he does it we don't ask for that one it's kind of kind of a weird thing happening there but it's part of god's grace and he'll do whatever he wants right so that's where we're at we're in the mystical areas of the of the mansion and again we're talking about interior prayer life and the sixth mansion she calls is the spiritual betrothal stage of the soul what does that mean we're engaged with jesus we know from Matthew with the, the parable of the virgins and the lamps, right, the, the, to meet the bridegroom, that we're going to be married to Jesus. Now, it was in St. Teresa's beliefs of her heart, she goes, you don't have to wait to you know, die to be married to Jesus. You could take your interior prayer life so deep that you'd be married to him now. That's what she's getting to. But in this part of the prayer life, you're in spiritual betrothal, and God's going to determine, that is the indwelling Jesus, if you're ready for this, this, this next step, the, metri- you know, the, the mystical marriage to him, the, the full union of the will to Jesus. And so in the spiritual betrothal stage, you're going to go through a lot of trials of things he's going to clean up to get you there. So it's very fascinating what's going on in the six mansions here. So mystical experiences in the six mansions. Remember, we had four waters of prayer we talked about in the, I think she's mentioned it in life. In the mystical side, we're in the fourth water of prayer. The chapter one introduces the mystical prayer betrothal. The fourth water is described as rain. We're talking about prayer here, right? Prayer becomes easy. It just comes raining down. It's the highest stage where the soul does not control its senses in ecstasy of prayer, but for a short time is lost in contemplation and rejoicing. This prayer is generally very short lasting only a moment or a few minutes at most. When this happens, we are abiding in Christ in a way that we know, but cannot explain. We also have no memory of what happened during this time, whether we are reading or recalling an event in Christ's life or engaging in vocal prayer. Interesting stuff, right? So God just comes, kind of comes in and, you know, and we just experience him. And it's like we, memory may have recollection of what's going on, when this happens, because God just doing what He wants in the mind. Remember, our our brain is wired. We have a 
mind, body, and spirit, right? Mind being the, the soul, body being the flesh, and we have spirit. And there's two spirits. We have the spirit intertwined with the Holy Spirit when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There's some interesting stuff going on here. So, what I'm going to cover in the Interior Castle, Six Mansions, Chapter 1, in Part D, we're going to cover two things, trials with infirmities, and then I'm going to go off and cover trials with ill-equipped confessors from her, from her book here. And I said it's going to be a long episode, but there's some fascinating stuff here, so I hope, you know, maybe just pause it and come back to it, but don't fall asleep. <laughs> there is some fascinating stuff along the way here. Some stuff go, wow, that's, that's some cool stuff. St. Teresa had a lot of good information to share with us on developing prayer life, and that's what this is all about. The stages we're at in prayer. That's what she's marking. She's kind of like built a roadmap for us. It's kind of like our treasure map, right? X marks a spot. Um, the seventh mansions marks a spot, our destination, but there's a lot of things along the way, and she points out the route for us. She's like the Thomas Brothers of prayer, interior prayer life. God, you have to be, I just dated myself, right? What's Thomas Brothers? You know, <laughs> Well, they were more accurate than Google Maps or Apple Maps, let me put it that way. So we don't want to call it Google or Apple Maps. Trials with infirmities. In this section, Teresa explains trials involving physical infirmities can be the most severe trials we endure. So Interior Castle, Six Mansions, chapters, excuse me, chapter 1, um, lines 13 through 14. God doesn't make us sick. Sickness, disease, and death come from the enemy. When we are inflicted with infirmities, God uses these dire situations to demonstrate he hasn't forsaken us or abandoned us. Jesus finds us in our suffering to help us deeply understand the mystical experience of his suffering. Okay? One more time. Jesus finds us in our suffering to help us deeply understand the mystical experience of his suffering. Because Jesus understands suffering, he makes himself present in our suffering. Gosh, Mike, that's kind of a bummer there, right? It's kind of a letdown. Why didn't Jesus heal us? Or why isn't you know Jesus going to heal us? And stuff like that. It's, it's, we're going to go deeper here. God didn't put the sickness on us, number one. Remember that. Who did? The devil did. Satan did. Satan made us sick. Satan's the one who gave us cancer. I know I went to a funeral one time in my church sometime back. A person I really loved, and the wife got there. I loved her too. But she goes, God, why did you give my husband cancer? Why did you make him sick? He didn't. Decay of our world comes from Satan. Satan did this. There's times where Jesus will come in alongside of us during our suffering to show others maybe a slower process of healing that he's doing so it's more public, that people know, wow, that you know the doctor said this individual wasn't going to live two more months. Here they are three years down the road and fully healed. Right? It's just... God will demonstrate, come alongside of us. But that person who was healed, I know people had cancer are fully healed. And they went through this, this horrific process with them, but they are so deep with Jesus right now. It's amazing. You think it'd be the other way around, right? But they, they figured it out. Jesus didn't give them the disease. But through these trials and suffering, Jesus used what the enemy threw on them to make this individual stronger in Jesus. Yep, we're going to go deep today. I tell you, you can go deep. Hold on, here we go. This is not going to be a, a seeker-friendly church today. We're going to hit it like it is. The Bible's full of suffering. Almost most of the, the parables, most of the, the Psalms and stuff, excuse me, not the parables, most of the Psalms are about, you know, David, he was suffering. God, you know, I'm, 
I'm hurting God. Why is the enemies after me? It's about suffering. It is through trials of suffering that we go deeper with Jesus. Very interesting. Because our mind's wired the other way around through the natural, you know, the, the original sin. If things are going great, we don't need Jesus. You know, it's like, oh, we don't need to call him. I just made a million dollars. Why do I need to call Jesus right now? Everything's good. Everything's great. And all of a sudden down the road, you have $10 million and all of a sudden you have cancer and you're back to talking to Jesus. A lot of times it's a suffering that keeps us connected. It's a suffering that brings us deeper. I've been through stuff myself, so literally had to have parts replaced in my body because of suffering that I did through spiritual warfare battles. And I'll slowly begin to talk about that and what's going on here. Some very deep, dark battles. And I prayed for full healing, and healing didn't come. I eventually had to go to doctors. But I've had other healings come where my asthma was taken away from me, right? So what's the mystery here? I don't understand it, but I always know Jesus is around to help me. He gets me through some of the deepest, darkest stuff. And I'm afraid of hospitals. I'm afraid of needles. But I had to fully trust Jesus to go through an operation. And he got me through two of them so far. Actually, three. Three of them. One operation, it was like just before Christmas, it was like, like six years ago, where witchcraft decided to make my appendix burst without me even feeling it, so I'd be full of poisons. Jesus got me out of the hospital in two days, even though my stomach, my my entire body was fully flushed out and clean from the poisons and toxins that were killing my body. And I told him that. I told the nurse, like, I need to take a blood test because it was like two days before Christmas. I want to go home. Well, you just don't walk out of here with what happened to you. And I go, well, Jesus said, give me a blood test. I started getting dressed, putting my clothes on, and they ignored me for like three hours. And finally, somebody showed up for a routine blood test, and all my pallets and stuff were normal, what they were supposed to be, and they were dumbfounded. So it's just, it goes hand in hand. It's a mystery. And also brings us deeper into what he suffered. He understands suffering. He went through it. All the crux of sin, everything we're capable of doing, was put on him when he went to the cross. He gets suffering, he understands it. So let's, like I said, we're going deep here, guys. We're going deep. Hold on. Here we go. So through our most profound suffering, God is present and makes his presence known to us through it. These life battling experiences, trials, develop a deeper trust and bond with the indwelling Jesus. The outcome of this intense trial is that the soul has a certitude of Jesus' love and that he is trustworthy. The soul is at a place of peace with its condition because of the presence of Jesus. This is some deep relational stuff going on here. This is what we're talking about relationship, right? This is it. This is where we're in a relationship with Jesus. When you're married and stuff goes south or goes bad, you're in it together. You know, there's no miracle fix. The two of you work it out. And as you work it out, you become deeper in love with that person on a much greater level than you were before because the two of you stuck something out horrendous that should have destroyed you. That makes sense? Here we go. Same thing with here are some of the trials we have through suffering with infirmities. Let's dive into it. We're in paragraph 13 of chapter 1, bodily sufferings. Our Lord now usually sends severe bodily infirmity. This is a far heavier cross, especially if acute pain is felt. If this is violent, I think it is the hardest of earthly trials I speak of, exterior trials. Now here she makes a mistake too, and I just want to correct St. Teresa. Our Lord now usually sends severe bodily infirmity. He doesn't. She experienced some horrible stuff. She had tinnitus. She had, um, she may have had malaria too, because she had stuff so severe they thought she died and they were, were going to bury her. And she came back to life. I don't know if the, the nun's prayer ra um, dead raised her or what happened. It's interesting. Go back in the book of life and read that. Some cool stuff there. 
Continue on. But corporal pains of the worst kind enter the interior of our being also, affecting both spirit and body, so that the soul in its anguish knows not what to do with itself and would far rather meet death at once by some quick martyrdom than suffer this. However, these praxims do not last long, for God never sends us more than we can bear and always gives us patience first. So God will never send us more than we can bear. It, it can be breaking to us. I mean, I've done that through spiritual warfare things too. I've had things that emotionally and powerfully just would break me. And stuff like that here, you have to persevere through it. Persevere through illnesses. I said I had to persevere through physical illnesses too. And the only way I was able to persevere was to go deeper with God to get the operations that were not fun. So when she goes on, so St. Teresa's physical illness, um, paragraph 14. Now to speak of other trials and illness of many kinds, which generally occur to people in this state, I know someone who, from time when 40 years ago, our Lord began to bestow on her the favor described. Could not affirm with any truth that she had been a single day without pain and other kinds of suffering. I am speaking of the physical infirmities besides heavy crosses sent her. True, she had a wicked life and therefore held these troubles very light in comparison with the hell she had deserved. Our Lord leads us through those who have offended him less by some other way, but I should have always chose the way of the suffering. That's an interesting comment. Why? If only for the sake of imitating our Lord Jesus Christ, though in fact it profits us in many ways, yet, oh, the rest would seem trifling in comparison. Could I relate the interior torments met with here? but they are impossible to describe. So let's kind of go through some of the stuff she was talking about. Um, I'm going to go through some notes here. St. Teresa is referring to her own mystical experience she had 40 years prior to her writing this statement. Her illness in her 20s during the winter of the years 1537 to 38. That's what I was talking about. They actually thought they were going to bury her and she died. Um, I think she was at her father's estate during this time and... Things took a turn for the worse. She already, I think she took a vow to be a nun, and she got ill. So look at, look at paragraph 9 from chapter 9 of her autobiography, Life. From the very beginning, God was most gracious unto me. Though I was not so free from sin as the book required, I passed that by. Such watchfulness seemed to be almost impossible. I was on my guard against almost every mortal sin, and would to God I had always been so. But I was careless about venial sins, and that was my ruin. So her vanity, she thought her vanity was her ruin. Yeah. Yet for all this, at the end of my stay there, I spent nearly nine months in the practice of solitude. Our Lord began to comfort me in such a way of prayer as in His mercy to raise me to the prayer of quiet, and now and then to the state of union, though I understood not either the one or the other was, nor the great esteem I ought to have had of them. She makes an interesting quote here. Um, through her solitude, she was raised to the prayer of quiet. So, practice of solitude, she was practicing his presence while she was ill in bed. And it led her, during that time, spending time with Jesus and when she was sick, spending time with him, that she raised the prayer of quiet. Well, that's the fifth mansions, right? 
And then to that union, I understood not whether one was or another great esteem I had of them. So it was subtle to her. She knew something happened. I mean, that's how it happens to most of us. We don't know we're having fifth or sixth mansions experience until after it happens and we go analyze it or most likely go talk to a spiritual director. Like I said, I don't think there's any spiritual directors around now who will be able to analyze this. Actually, I know of one. Um, he's an expert in St. Teresa and things. But, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot out there people that understand what this is. Continue on in um, her autobiography description. I believe it would have been a great blessing to me if I had understood the matter. It is true that the prayer of union lasts but a short time. I know not if it continued for the space of Ava Maria, but the fruits of it remained, and they were such that, though I was then not twenty years of age, I seemed to despise the world utterly, and I so remember how sorry I was for those who followed its ways, the only things lawful. That's from the Book of Life again. Um, chapter... 13. And so what she did there is she, when she was going through her greatest trials of being ill, I mean, she was really dead ill. I mean, they had those, remember those, in the medieval times, those doctors come and they cut your heels and bleed you and all that. She was going through all that stuff. It was horrendous because they thought she was getting better. She was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, it got to the point where she couldn't walk. She was paralyzed. And she finally got to the place where she practiced his presence in a chapel somewhere. I guess she pulled herself up onto her feet, and she was partially paralyzed, and she was able to walk again. So she had miracle after miracle after miracle of things going on here. And it was during this time, like I said, she wasn't blaming Jesus. She could have. I mean, we're human. There's times too when I was like, God, well, you know, I was in a battle here for you, and I got, I got, you know, got nailed. What happened? But we can't have that mindset. He'll pull us out of it. He goes, look, I know what happened to you. I'm here with you. We're going to work this out. And that's how you go deeper and deeper. And that's what she did. And she, since she was laid up, she was able to be in isolation. She was able to go into a fifth mansion experience during his time with him. Incredible stuff. I want to close the books right there on trials with infirmities. We're going to move on here to trials with confessors. And this one is loaded. A lot of stuff here. Lots and lots of stuff. I don't want to lose you, but there's some good stuff we need to point out. Um, things that need to be observed today as we learn to hear God, we learn to do prophetic ministry, learn to do deliverance, and we're dealing with the mystical and the supernatural. And we're ignoring it, and we're going off pridefully, like I said, calling us generals, calling ourselves, you know, we have offices and all this stuff. And it's just, you know, I'm the prophet this, or I'm the deliverance minister that, or I'm the exorcist. We're not. We're servants of God. Jesus didn't have a title. Jesus came to serve man. So how can we have a title bigger than him? That's one thing I follow here. So moving on. We're on the next section, trials with confessors. In this next section, Teresa explains trials involving inexperienced confessors. You'll have this. I mean, this was a great roadmap. I want you guys to understand this because when I did counseling, I had people who were damaged in prophetic ministry. I had to get them back on their, you know, their heels and stuff. This is the stuff we went through. Walked them through it. And man, a lot of, a lot of people got healed with this information. It's heavy. It's deep. So here we go. Interior Castle, Six Mansions, Chapter 1, Paragraph 15. She titles it, A Timorous Confessor. Let us first speak of the trial of meeting with so timorous and inexperienced a confessor that nothing seems safe to him. He dreads and suspects everything but the common, commonplace. 
especially in a soul in which he deters any imperfection, for he thinks people on whom God bestows such favors must be angels, which is impossible while we live in our bodies. He at once ascribes everything to the devil or melancholy. As to the latter, I am not surprised. There is so much of it in the world and evil one works such harm in this way that confessors have the strongest reasons of it for anxiety and watchfulness about it. So she has some references. She was actually hyperlinking back to one of her own experiences. From um, I have two of them here. She has marked down as from her autobiography, Life. Chapter 18, paragraphs 21 through 27, and The Way of Perfection. Chapter 5, paragraphs 1 and 2. And we're going to look at these. Like I said, these, we're going to go deep here. We're going to go deep. Hold on. So from the Book of Life, paragraph 21. He who begins is in need of instruction, whereby he may ascertain what profits him most. For this end, it is very necessary he should have a director who ought to be a person of experience. For if he be not, he will make many mistakes and direct a soul without understanding its ways or suffering it to understand them for itself. For such a soul, knowing that obedience to a director is highly meritorious, dares not transgress the commandments it receives. I have met with souls cramped and tormented because he who directed them had no experience. That made me sorry for them. Some of them knew not what to do with themselves, for the directors who did not understand the spirit of their penitents afflict them soul and body and hinder their progress. Although this matter of self-knowledge must be put aside, for there is no soul so great, a giant on this road, but has frequent need to turn back. And be again an infant at the breast, and this must never be forgotten. I shall repeat it, perhaps many times because of its great importance. For among all the states of prayer, however high they may be there, there is not one which is not often necessary to go back to the beginning. Hmm, interesting. Did you get that? For among all the states of prayer, however high there may be, there is not one in which it is not often necessary to go back to the beginning. So God may put you through a trial and you think you're like in the six mansions and he sends you back to the third mansions. Interesting. The knowledge of our sins and of ourselves is the bread which we have to eat with all the meats, however delicate they may be. In the way of prayer, without this bread, life cannot be sustained, though it must be taken by measure. She's talking about humility here. The um, our true spiritual director knows what he's doing will you know, inflict the humility or maybe God himself that, you know, the, the director may say something and the principal, that's not true. And then God through a trial may show me, yeah, that was true. And I know we were having six mansion experiences. We're going to go back to the third mansion and the fifth mansion right now just to clean things up. So you're not being sent back to class. We're going to be sent back to um, run through this one more time to make sure you get it correctly. This is all a part of his spiritual engagement. When a soul beholds itself resigned and clearly understands that there is no goodness in it, when it feels itself abashed in the presence of a great king and sees how little it pays of the great debt it owes him, why should it be necessary for it to waste its time on the subject? So now humility is coming back in. The soul makes itself resigned and clearly understands there's no goodness in it. Right? So this is humility. She's talking about a trial of humility going on with her. Why should it not rather proceed to other matters which our Lord places before it, and for neglecting which there is no reason? 
His Majesty surely knows better than what we do what kind of food is proper for us. So even though we think we know what's going on, we think we know what's best, God's going to know what's best for us. He's going he's to steer us. Paragraph 24. So then, it is of great consequence that the director should be prudent, I mean of sound understanding and a man of experience. If in addition to this, he's a learned man, it is a very great matter. Okay, so we're still in the um, Book of Life, chapter 18. We're talking about, now we're looking for a good confessor. The last one wasn't good. And here we go. But if these three qualities cannot be together, the first two are the most important because learned men may be found with whom we can communicate when it is necessary. So learned man's going to listen to her and understand. So why does she want to learn to man? Because she may have experiences that may be over his head or over his experience, but he's going to pick up quickly on what's going on and still be able to give her spiritual direction through his own spiritual direction experience. So we have to communicate when it's necessary. I mean that for beginners, learned men are of little use if they are not men of prayer. I do not say that they have to be anything to do with learned men because of spirituality foundations of which are resting on the truth, I would rather not be accompanied with prayer. So why is that? Why? I mean that for beginners learned our men are of little use if they are not men of prayer. Because when they go to prayer, to go to Holy Spirit and ask them what's going on, they're going to get answers. They're going to be able to assist this person they're directing. Learning is a great thing, for it teaches us who knows so little and enlightens us. So when we have to come to the knowledge of the truths contained in the Holy Writings, we do what we ought to do. From silly devotions, God deliver us. <laughs> oh, that's a little thing. I don't think she could like those little silly devotions there. Huh? She's funny. Paragraph 25. I will explain myself further, for I am meddling. I believe with too many matters, it has only been my failing that I could never make myself understood. As I said before, but at the cost of many words, a nun begins to practice prayer. If her director be silly, and if he should not take into his head, he will make her feel that it is better for her to obey him than her own superior. Okay, so we got some controlling issues going on here. Just pointing out manipulation from some of these, these um, confessors. He will do all without any evil purpose, thinking that he is doing right. For if he be not a religious himself, he will not think this is right enough. If his penitent be married woman, he will tell her that it is better for her to give herself unto prayer when she ought to attend to her house, although she may be thereby displeased of her husband. <laughs> That's interesting. And so it is. He knows not how to make arrangements for time and business so that everything may be done as it ought to be done. He has no light himself and therefore give none to others, however much he may wish to do so. So he's not contributing anything. I guess she didn't like this confessor. Oh my goodness. It's, I like how she just calls it out the way it is. Paragraph 26 through life. Though learning does not seem necessary for discretion, my opinion has always been and will be that every Christian should continue to be guided by a learned director if he can. And the more learned, the better. So the more they're versed in mystical theology, the more learned they are, the spirituality, the better director they'll be. I've had this happen quite a bit of times too. It's just... I mean, different people. Like I said, I always beat up on the PhD guys. I've had a really good PhD person who was a very good spiritual director to me, and I still quote him. You know, he'll know who he is if I say this. You know, stay radically in the middle. 
that man gave me some great stuff. But I had another pastor at a PhD, and he was stumbling. He knew his Bible inside and out, but he was stumbling on the spirituality part. And I got the most beat up by him because he couldn't understand what I was doing and the experiences I was having. And it, it was, you know, it, it was painful. It was like, aren't you getting this? You know, but God will explain to you later. You know, it's you back off on these guys, all right? They who walk in the way of prayer have the greater need of the learning. And the more spiritual they are, the greater there is they need. Let them not see that learned men not given to prayer are not fit counselors for those who pray. That is a delusion. Yep, so she wants you to go to somebody that's deeper in prayer and deeper in spiritual life. You know, you'll be able to pick those guys out. The guy starts nitpicking stuff, you know, technicalities rather than asking you questions on spirituality and, and trying to dig for whether this was a soul, whether this was um, something actually spiritual and mystical. That's what she wants, the learned man who's, who's going to understand the spirituality part. Let's keep going. I have conversed with many, and now for some years I have sought them the more. Because of my greater need of them, I have always been fond of them. For though some of them have no experience, they do not dislike spirituality. Neither are they ignorant of what it is, because in the sacred writings with which they are familiar, they always find the truth about spirituality. So in other words... If this, if St. Teresa had an experience, it will align with something biblically and they'll find it. That's kind of the stuff I found too. It's just, you know, the learned man has to learn to go in and look with spiritual eyes, the confessor, and look for this stuff and go, oh, wow, that, that is there. That's something Jesus does do or some of his disciples did or something that happened in the Old Testament. These things do happen. And yeah, that, that aligns biblically what we can experience mystically. That's what she's talking about here. Let's return. I am certain myself that a person given to prayer who treats of these matters will learn men, unless he is deceived with his own consent, will never be carried away by any illusions of the devil. I believe that the evil spirits are exceedingly afraid of learned men who are humble and virtuous, knowing that it will be found out and defeated by them. Okay, there's something how these men walk. She's pointing it out there too. Because they're learned, because they're letting the Holy Spirit unpack stuff, they're humble, they're virtuous, the enemy's going to have a harder time beating up on them. Paragraph 27 out of life, uh, chapter, um, chapter 8. I said this because there are opinions held to the effect that learned men, if they're not spiritual, are not suited for persons given to prayer. I have just said that a spiritual director is necessary, but if he cannot be a learned man, he is a great hindrance. Hmm. Yep, experience that. Like I said that you could have a guy with a PhD who knows the Bible inside and out, but they're not spiritual. I've seen these guys. They're not spiritual. They're a hindrance and then cause more damage to you. Because our relationship with Jesus is so deep, and somebody comes across this bluntly shutting it down, that didn't happen. That's impossible. Why don't you read this by this guy? No. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was so funny. The one PhD person I had to deal with, um, I kept telling him, uh, a Christian can have demons. And he's like, no, they can't. No, they can't. Like, well, just. Come over to our miracles and warfare, and you'll see it. You know, like, no, 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 they can't have it. And then about a year down the road, um, one of the great pastors at the Gateway Church, I forget his name, Robert, um, was it Robert Thomas? Robert? Uh, pastor Robert, I can't remember his name now. He put on a sermon that demons, you know, Christians can have demons. And all of a sudden, the same pastor from me goes, Mike, you got to listen to this thing. Did you know Christians can have demons? I go, I'm sorry, to, I don't know. I turned different shades of red in front of him. <laughs> It's like, didn't we have these conversations, but you kind of just looked down at me because I didn't have a PhD? 
I told you this. We witnessed it, you know. But, you know, at least he found out. <laughs> that's all that matters. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's kind of what's going on here. You can't. You got to be careful of who your spiritual directors are. A pastor is not a spiritual director. Let me help you out there. You may not be. You got to find these people, and they're not on the Elijah list. They're not. Um, they don't have large deliverance ministry. Um, they're... He just picks some average people that are just populated certain places all over the world, you know, that you'll find them. You'll find who it is to your church or to your journeys, and it could be a very painful dream to find these people. But you're not looking for a spiritual director. You just find out who it is. Like I said, I tried reaching out to the Catholic Church. I actually went to the Carmelites, you know, down here in San Jose. And I talked to them about my mystical experiences, and I thought, okay, can I come to you for a spiritual direction? And they were <laughs> kept pounding me like, well, you need to know about Mary. I go, we can do this without bringing Mary into this, right? I mean, <laughs> let's just focus on the spiritual experiences. So it, you know, even going straight to the Carmelites didn't help. Um, it was just amazing. It's just, you know, it is what it is. So I'll move along. Let's continue on. Paragraph 27. It will help as much if we consult those who are learned, provided they be virtuous. And if they not be spiritual, they will be of service to me. And God will enable them to understand what they should teach. He will even make them spiritual in order that they may help us on. I do not say this without having had experience of it, and I have met with more than two. So the, these guys, since they were learned men, they were virtuous, the Holy Spirit was able to unpack stuff for them and help them guide the, the soul, or St. Teresa and probably some of her nuns, in the directions they need to be directed in. Very important. So the key thing here is a virtuous man, learned man, humility, man or woman, um, and they could unpack stuff for the Holy Spirit. But in this, this modern age we have here, um, with, the, like I said, the Office of the Prophets and stuff, and gods and generals and all these guys that call themselves, I haven't seen much of this. Like, I just stumbled into people who understood it. And I kind of understood a lot more as I went along my way 15 years down the road of helping people doing spiritual direction. I've had mystical experiences that were, you know, over the, off the top, and I was able to discern as people told me stuff, especially the prophets, what was real and what wasn't, and how to help prepare prophets who were damaged by people who thought they were spiritual directors and just damaged them because it was more of acting out of fear of their other giftings, right? They're envious of the other person's gifting and just damaged them. That's what we see a lot. Be careful. So let's jump in the way of perfection here. Continue on regarding confessors. So way of perfection, chapter five, and we'll look at paragraphs one and two. May the Lord grant for his majesty's own sake that no one in this house shall experience the trials that have been described or find yourself oppressed in this way in soul and body. I hope this is pure or never so intimate with the confessor that no one will dare to say anything about him or her or about her to him. For this will tempt unfortunate penitents to leave very grave sins unconfessed because they will feel uncomfortable about confessing them. God help me. What trouble the devil can make here and how dearly people have to pay for their miserable worries and concerns about honor. Yep, so things may, people confess may just say stuff about you behind your back and stuff. What trouble devil can make here and clear dearly people who have to pay for their dismal worries and concern about honor, right? So just saying stuff behind her back on her, like, oh my gosh, I'm her confessor and what a whack job. Or, you know, she can't be having this stuff. Or she obviously has too much hand, times on her hand for, for um, contemplation. If they consult only one confessor, they think they are acting in the interest of their order and for the greater honor of their covenant. And this is what the way the devil lays his snares for souls when he can find no other. 
If the poor sisters ask for another confessor, they are told that this would mean the complete end of all discipline in the convent. And if he is not a priest of their order, even though he be a saint, they are led to believe that they would be disgracing their entire order by consulting him. So if you don't like your confessor you got, you're stuck with them. Otherwise, it's a disgrace to the order, right? So the Carmelites can't go down to the, know, uh, the, the order of Franciscans, the order of, you know, Joseph, or those guys are, and try something different. They can't, because of disgrace. How dare you go that? That's what churches are right now, right? You know, Assembly of God. How dare you go down to the, you know, the <laughs> Methodist church or went to the local church down the road there? We have the same thing today. It's the same thing. It's goofy. Man's way of trying to deal with the church. So paragraph two, give great praise to God, daughters, for this liberty that you have, for there are not a great many priests whom you consult. There are few, other than your ordinary confessors who can give you light upon everything. That's right. I beg every superior, for the love of the Lord, to allow a holy liberty here. Let the bishop or provincial be approached for these leave of these sisters to go from time to time beyond their ordinary confessors and talk about their souls with persons of learning. Especially if their confessors, though good men, have no learning for learning, <laughs> is a great help in giving the light upon everything. So, it's okay to go outside your church to get help if you know the professionals are at or the people that are learned in it. I, I mentioned last time too, I kind of covered this also in my um, fireside chat back in episode 54, the last episode, we're in 55 now, that I wasn't getting the information I wanted for prophetic ministry and deliverance. So I held Saturday night churches and I got in trouble with my pastor at my church. What are you doing creating a church at your house? I go, I'm not. I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, build up information and glean information from others that I'm not getting from my church. And I'm not building a church to compete. It's just, in fact, it was, you know, it was what it is. That's what's happening here. Give us permission to go off the reservation because we're going to have to. And we bring stuff back to the church that's healthy. You know, if, if, if you have a mature pastor and you're a mature Christian, he should be fine with you going off the reservation because you're not there to build another church or bring him down. You'll find, like, when I ran that one pastor, he, he wasn't mature enough to deal with that. So, you know, that's where we're at here. Things haven't changed since the 1500s, guys. Let's continue on. In way of perfection, it should be possible to find a number of people who combine both learning and spirituality, and the more favors the Lord grants you in prayer, the more needful it is that your good works and your prayers should have sure foundation. Okay, now return to our regularly scheduled programming. We're diving back into Tyria Castle, Six Mansions, Chapter 1, Paragraph 16, Anxiety on Account of Past Sins. The poor soul, beset by the same fears, seeks his confessor as judge and feels a torture and dismay at his con condemnation that can only be realized by those who have experienced it themselves. For one of the severe trials of the soul, especially if they have lived wicked lives, is their belief that God permits them to be deceived in punishment for their sins. Okay, so that's a trial of the mind, right? A mind attack there. One of the severe trials of the soul, especially if they have lived wicked lives, is their belief that God permits them to be deceived in punishment. Okay, that's something you got to work out in a trial. Is that, is that true? Is that godly? No, that's, an, that's an ungodly mindset that had to be banished. She had to work it out, and guess what? God gave her a trial to, to peel it off her. That's why we go through trials. He corrects our, our thinking and our mindset as we go deeper. Continue on. 
While actually receiving these graces, they feel secure and cannot but suppose that these favors proceeded from the Spirit of God. But the state lasts a very short time, while the remembrance of their misdeeds is ever before them, so that when, as is sure to happen, they discover any faults in themselves, these torturing thoughts return. Torturing thoughts are from the devil. It's, he get demonic voices from there. That's what she's saying. The demons can come out and just attack you. Hey, remember that? You're not, you're not free from that. This is who you are. What do you think God's going to pull you up out of this? You know, that's that demonic chatter. It's horrible. So God's saying, hey, who am I in all this? Did I really say that about you? Is that how I really think about you? No, you're listening to demons. So we're going through this trial where it's just being pulled off. So these torturing thoughts. It's a trial. And believe me, when you get deeper into darker spiritual warfare, you're going to go through a lot of these trials of these torturing thoughts. God's not real. God's not going to help you. How do you really believe in God? What's going on here? You know, you're going to have to use rely on the certitude of your past miracles, your past experiences, your past prayer life. Like, shut up. God's real. You know, how are you going to pull this off me? That's what happens every time. I'll go through these thoughts and some memory will surface like, God's real. You know, fight this one. This is embedded in permanent memory storage. I can, I, it's archived. And I can pull it up anytime you go and see it. Like, amen. So we're going to diverse here to go back and take a look at this. We're going to go to life. Chapter XXX, was that 22? Paragraph 15. To converse with anyone is worse, for the devil then sends so offensive a spirit of bad temper that I think I could eat people up, nor can I help myself. I feel that I do something when I keep myself under control, or rather our Lord does so. When he holds back with his hand anyone in this state from saying or doing something that may be hurtful to his neighbors and offensive to God. So she's really like... like the. The, the demons have stirred the hornet's nest. That's what's going on here, right? And she's trying to keep a lid on it. Then as to going to our confessor, that is of no use, for the certain results is, and very often has it happened to me, I should not describe. Though my confessors, with whom I had due to then, and had to do still, are so holy, they spoke to me and reproved me with such harshness that they were astonished at it afterwards when I told them of it. They said that they could not help themselves, for though they had resolved not to use such language, and though they pitied me also very much, yeah, even I had scruples on the subject because of my grievous trials of soul and body, and were moreover determined to console me, they could not refrain. God's going to use the people outside you too. Believe me, when you start going through this stuff, you're going to be surprised that you could have had some long-term church relationships that are going to be dissolved because of these trials going on. And you'll see relationships that weren't healthy at all that you thought, wow, these are my really good friends in church. They're my really good friends in ministry. And he's going to tear it up. And just don't be surprised when this happens because that's part of trials. You know? It goes deep here. It goes really deep. Why is this happening? Because Jesus is coming closer to you. He's, he's pulling the weeds now, right? He's separating the weeds from the tear, right? Or the tear from the wheat. Excuse me. He's separating the tear from the wheat. He's doing it inside you. And that's what happens during... Spiritual betrothal. He starts ripping out the tares. And some of those may be church friends we thought were really good to us. They weren't. And the demons will stop at nothing to destroy your closest relationships during this time. That's stuff we don't hear in deliverance books or cleansing streams, right? It's like, oh, you know, all this stuff's going to come off. You'll be happy. Yeah, you are. You'll be free. But if you're going to the battlefield to help other people, they're going to start dropping those tactical weapons on you that are going to you know, pound you down pretty good, but it's going to be who you are in Christ and who your relationship is during this spiritual betrothal. 
Some people can be turned away during spiritual withdrawal. The demons could win. You don't want that to happen. Don't become on a trophy shelf for demons. This, this, this stuff's intense that's happening right here. She's talking about. Very intense stuff. Let's carry on here. They did not use unbecoming words. I mean, words offensive to God, yet their words were the most offensive that could be born with, within confession. They must have aimed at mortifying me, and other times I used to delight in this and was prepared to bear it. But it was a, then a torment altogether. So you have your close um, people. I've had that too. Like I said, I'm going back to the PhD guy, <laughs> right? Um, when I was having miracles on the streets, I was torn apart with stuff. I think there was some jealousy or envy when these people aren't experiencing it. And it's not that we're better than them. I want to come off in total humility here, total humility, because it was the grace of God that was showing me these things to raise me up for where I needed to be. Like I said, I'm doing some dark stuff here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold on anybody, but God had to get me to a place. It's like I, the spiritual ring realm, I could jump in with Mike Tyson, you know, and protect my ears and give him a pounding. And that's not saying that's I, mean, I could kick his butt. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God got me the place. God got me the place I could bring down giants. Okay, and that was a lot of training, a lot of working with that, a lot of fleshing ungodly mindsets through some not fun trials. And that's what she's talking about. We have our ungodly mindsets that are go against God and who God believes us to be because he has to raise us up, make us stronger, sanctification. Right? We're not happy-go-lucky, you know. <laughs> oh, joyful. I, I, you know, it is. You, you get the joy because you get salvation. Lord, Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I do have joy through all these times because I know he's going to get me out of them, whatever's going on. I know he will. He's going to do it. He never fails me. But I know the stuff involved in his trials that he's pointing out, like, look what the demons are using against you. I think you need to pay attention to that because that's a weakness. In other words, like, you know, the, they're throwing jabs at me. I need to learn how to block and fight back with, if that makes sense. And that's what trials are about. They're not fun. You got to step in the ring. You got to get a few, few good punches, you know, make it knocked down a couple of times. You got to get back up and fight again. Continue, continue on in life. I used to think that too that I deceived them. So I went to them and cautioned them very earnestly to be on their guard against me. Or it might be that I deceived them. I saw well enough that I would not be so advised nor tell them an untruth, but everything made me afraid. Right? She just didn't want to go back and talk to them. I wouldn't either. It's like, it's just, right, here we go. One of them on occasion when he had heard me speak of this temptation, told me not to distress myself, or even if I wished to deceive him, he had senses enough to be deceived. This maybe gave me great comfort. You know, as we go through this, I eventually had people I worked with later on to be like my spiritual directors, confessors. But I started having experiences, and these were great people. They were in spiritual experiences too. But I was having stuff I don't want to go into yet because of the dark battles with the witchcraft and the, how they were fought that were go, went beyond, I think, what they were capable of comprehending. And, they, and I, I want to be careful with the wording because that, that's, that's a hard way to put it, but maybe, maybe so. And they started thinking, something's weird's going on here with Mike. Yeah, something weird's going on. It's real. That's what's going on. And it kind of, again, broke close relationships, what was, was happening here. So after that, I got to a point where I just learned, like, I know it's real. I know it's not real. I know it's spiritual. And I know it's of the soul. So I was at the point where I was able to just check in with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and just kind of sort of spiritual direct myself. 
but this was years of harsh poundings and stuff that I think, you know, I have that prayer of union with Jesus. I know who he is. And we have these deep conversations. Now it happens. I know these things happened. And it's just, just like, well, just not talk to me about it anymore. We don't need to. You don't need to share it with anybody. It's off the hook and they're just going to ridicule you. Right? So why, why talk about it? That's kind of where I was at a lot of stuff and so I'm at now. So I, there's stuff I just don't share that's off the hook. Because I have with other people and I thought people were on my level with this. They're like, because they weren't experiencing it. And it's, you know, okay. So rather than be ridiculed about it, I'm just not going to share it. <laughs> that's where, I kind of, that's where she's at too. You know, you don't want to think people, you know, I feel like I'm not here deceiving you. I'm trying to tell you something's going on. I'm trying to make sense of it. And Jesus goes, just from now on, just come to me and we'll make sense of it. And we have some good stuff. I, I'm at peace with a lot of stuff now. But some stuff will exceed what people are capable of perceiving, even if they're, even if they're rocking it too with you with the mystical experiences. And you'll run into that. And like I said, this was damaging to relationships. And, you know, I'm just going to leave it there. Ah, back to Interior Castle, Six Mansions, Chapter 1, Paragraph 17. Fears and Ridley. The soul is quieted for a time when the confessor reassures it, although it returns later on its former apprehensions. But when he augments its fears, they become almost unbearable. Especially is this case when such spiritual dryness ensues that the mind feels as if it never had thought of God nor ever will be able to do so. When men speak of him, they seem to be talking of some person they heard of long ago. So what you talk about there in Aridity. We will get in places, and I've gone through these things too, where you're talking with God and you just feel like he's not talking to you right now and it's just you're forcing yourself to go back to communicate you have to that's how you reconnect going back and going back so there's times where you feel like you're not hearing from god at all but you actually are and that's a place of ridley and prayer and you just got to push yourself through it and it happens sometimes you'll have moments that are spiritually off the hook and there's times where god's going i need to pull back on this just so you're not seeking me to have these great ecstasy experiences so you'll have a moment uh months yeah, months of ridley. I'm, I'm experiencing one right now. You know, it's just, it breaks. It goes off and on. And during spiritual warfare, it goes off and on with me. And what's kind of funny is it's been going on for over six months now. And I was called in for a deliverance ministry um, for a church where we was doing some deliverance for the, you know, the, a group of people. And suddenly when I dropped into the ministry, the prophetic and the spiritual warfare stuff, all just came back to the Holy Spirit. After I was done, it shut down again. So he's there. It's just like, you know, Mike, I want you to just go deeper to me. And that's what the thing is right now. Go deeper. Like, I have to push harder to go deeper with you now. It's kind of hard. It's kind of arid. God goes, I know. Just keep pushing. I think this is a lot of people fall off the, the bandwagon here. They, they go, wow. So it really is a part of this, this process. And it happens. Paragraph 18, scruples and fears raised by the devil. All this is nothing without the further pain of thinking we cannot make our confessors understand the case and are deceiving them. Although such a person may examine her conscience with the greatest care and may know that she reveals even the first movement of her mind to her director, it does not help her. Her understanding being too obscure to discern the truth, she believes all that the imagination, which is now the upper hand, puts before her mind besides crediting the falsehood suggested to her by the devil, whom doubtless our Lord gives leave to tempt her. 
Okay, so again, as we go deeper, God's going to permit the demons to come in and just wreak havoc because the demons know where our weaknesses are. And we're at a point in our interior prayer life where we understand Jesus, oh, I see that and I don't like it. Okay, so Jesus, let's get rid of this. Let's deal with it. Like I said, you could, she said earlier, way back, we're talking about, you could be like the sixth mansion and he'll throw you back to the third mansion or the fourth mansion because there's some humility stuff you want to go through. Go, well, I'm starting this all over again. Because, yeah, he goes, we didn't get it the first time, but he's going to, he goes, I love you guys. You're not, you're not being kicked off the bus. It's just, I need you to go back to some training for a while because you didn't, it didn't all set in. Right? So that's what he's doing here. That's a part of spiritual betrothal. He's going to keep cleaning us up till we're ready for the spiritual marriage. It's a heavy thing. That's a deep portion of relationship. Well, it's just, it goes, now you know why it goes beyond. I'm in a relationship. This is some heavy stuff here. You're going through suffering. You're going through torment. But at the same time, it's joy in your heart that God's going to get you through this. Like Some of this stuff is so nasty. Going, oh, I don't like this at all. This is going to really suck, God. This is going to be terrible. God goes, I know. But the same part is, like, God, this is going to be super cool and get the end of it because I know you're going to get me through it. I'm just curious to see how you're going to do it and what's, what, what's going to come out of this, what the fruits of me are. So it's always a positive upswing to it, right? So it's like this balanced 50-50 thing. Ah, the evil spirit even tries to make her think God has rejected her. Remember I talked about that? Yep, you're going to get that. Many are the trials which assaults the soul, causing an internal anguish so painful and so intolerable that I can compare it to nothing save that suffered by lost in hell, where no comfort can be found in the tempest of trouble. Oh, it's a tempest. It comes in, and it's just, it's at the level where it makes your mind thought, Jesus, Jesus isn't real. But like I said, you start pull off it, it just it just pulls off your memory and stuff like, did we not see this? Did Jesus not pull us through this? Because and the, the demon will back out, oh my God, he remembered that. Yeah, because it's burned into my brain because it's this part of memory that's it's it's part of the mystical side. Like I can I can recall this quickly. So why are you doing this? But they'll put you in a stupid slump or something, like in a depression, or I call it the funk. This is called the funk. She's talking about here. It's intolerable. And it could feel like a depression. I don't get depressed. And this was some of the stuff I had a hard time working with my people I worked with laterally. Um, I thought were like my peers and spiritual confessors. They didn't understand the funk. They thought something was wrong with me because I'd go in and out of it during deep spiritual battles. Like, Mac, you should talk to somebody for counseling. Like, I was just sharing with you where I'm at. And I'm not here for counseling. I'm just telling you, I just need to bounce it off me right now. You know, during our time to talk to mystical. And they just they didn't get it. They thought, well, this is pretty deep and dark. Yeah, when you start doing exorcisms, you're going to go through some dark stuff. I don't know if you remember, um, I don't know if you saw the right about the Father Gary Thomas with Anthony Hopkins, and the priest was out there looking at this demonic donkey falling around. So I asked Father Gary Thomas, I go, that's part of the funk, isn't it? He goes, yeah. He goes, that was kind of interesting. He goes, I tried to explain that to the director, and that was his idea of artistic licensing that this demonic donkey was just falling around everywhere and only he could see it. And that's what I call it. I call it the funk. But um, Pastor Gary kind of, I think, <laughs> Father Gary kind of picked up on it too. It's the funk. Yep, that's what it is. So that's what it is. It's real. And that's how I knew it was happening because I talked to other exorcists I'm in contact with. Look, this is what's happening, blah, blah, blah. They get it too. But like people aren't in a deep spiritual warfare dealing with the witchcraft during the, you know, the spiritual stuff that's going on here in the six mansions. They're probably in the fifth mansions and experiencing stuff. A little bit of the sixth mansions, but they will not get this. So, I, like I said, I keep my mouth shut unless I have my few true people. It's down to a few. Um, I am so grateful for a prophetic woman out in Idaho. Hats off to you. You know what I'm talking about? 
because we get the same triggers, uh, spiritual triggers, like at the same time and stuff in the months. And she'll bounce me off a text, go, yeah, I'm getting that too. So there's other people out there that I can trust. And you'll have to do that too if you go this deep. And it's just hard. It's very hard. Oh, let's talk about this. So she bounces back to life. So we have more notes in this that St. Teresa of Abla turns us over to his, um, her autobiography. Chapter 27, paragraph 20. My confessor, who was, as I said before, one of the fathers of Society of Jesus and a really holy man, answered them in the same way. So I learned afterwards he was a most discreet man and of great humility. But this great humility of his brought me into serious trouble for, though he was a man of much given to prayer and learned, he never trusted his own judgment because our Lord was not leading him by this way. Uh-oh, what's going on there? He had therefore much to suffer on my account in many ways. I knew they used to say to him that he must be on his guard against me. <laughs> oh, I know the feeling. Lest Satan should delude him through a belief in anything I might say to him. They gave instances of others who were deluded. All this distressed me. I began to be afraid I should find no one to hear my confession and that all would avoid me. I did nothing but weep. So return to Six Mansions, Chapter 1, Paragraph 19. Bewilderment of the soul. If the soul seeks for consolation from its confessor, all the demons appear to help him to torment it more. A confessor who dealt with a person suffering in this manner thought that her state must be very dangerous as so many things were troubling her. There you go. They're going to use the people. Remember relationships? The demons are going to go after the people around you too. There it is. There it is. I kid you not. Therefore, after she had recovered from her trials, he bade her to tell him whenever they recurred. However, he found this made matters worse than ever. She lost all control over herself, although she had learnt to read, yet she could no more understand a book in the vulgar tongue than if she had not known the alphabet, for her mind was incapable of acting. So she has some more notes here from... More notes here on this one. So she's back in life, chapter was it 25, XXV, is it 25? Um, paragraph 21. But there was no comfort for me when I thought of the possibility that Satan could speak to me so often. Now that I was never alone for prayer, our Lord may be recollected even during conversation. Wow. In other words, the Lord infused prayer, infused his presence, infused recollection right there. Our Lord made me recollected even during conversation. So she was, to protect her, he kept her and infused his presence consistently with her. He spoke what he pleased. I could not avoid it. And it distressed me. I was forced to listen. <laughs> so maybe he's talking to these confessors through his presence. That's funny. I've had that happen before too, but I haven't happened dealing with demons. It's like, it's, it's a crazy thing. It's it immediately infused and words come out of your mouth like, oh my God, I didn't say that, that demon, did I? You know, <laughs> God, I did not revile his spirit. Says, no, I'm, I'm dealing with it. Don't you worry, Mike. So that's that's cool. That's very cool stuff right there. I was by myself having no one in whom I could find any comfort. I able to pray or read like a person stunned by heavy trials and by the dread the evil one had deluded me, utterly disquieted and wearied, not knowing what would become of me. I have been occasionally, yeah, very often in distress, but never before in distress so great. I was in a state for four or five hours. There was no comfort for me either from heaven or on earth. Only our Lord left me to suffer or afraid of those thousand dangers. 
Hmm. It was a very interesting physical trial going on here too, an emotional anxiety, dark anxiety. Woo, that's not that's not fun. So that brings us to the end. We're concluding. We've gotten through most of Tier Castle Six Mansions Chapter One. We're going to have, have a part three because there was a lot here. There was a lot we had to cover. I think we're going to do twenty through twenty-seven in the next visit. That's that's seven paragraphs. Hopefully, we can get through that pretty easy. I was hoping to cover the whole thing here, but like I said, we got to the confessor part. There was a lot of stuff we had to unpack. What do we do? Who do we talk to when we're learning, you know, hear from God? There's some people that are trustworthy and some aren't. You know, if the, what was the key word she was saying? A learned person listens to the Holy Spirit and they have humility. You can find out right away if somebody doesn't have humility. If they're the biggest person on your church campus who's a prophet, you go talk to that prophet because they have an office. I wouldn't talk to them. I wouldn't share stuff with them. Go find somebody that, that's, that's a nobody, you know, that, that's operating really good in that, and you'll find that person. It's just, I think things are so messed up right now. I think God's going to do a lot of reorgs on these offices and churches. It's going to be cleaned up. And it's just, it's not what it is. We're, 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 we're servants. We work with Jesus. We don't hold offices. There I said it. Again, it's my podcast. I said it. I haven't seen anybody I think holds an office that I respected with it. I've seen people operating the prophetic do a very awesome job and they're very gifted in it and they're working their gifting. And I've seen some who fake it till you make it. And I've seen others who damaged others because they're envious of younger people, up and comers or something like that. You know, and just tore them apart and hurt their hearts and gave them, gave them heart wounds. I've seen that too. I've worked with people in counseling for that. I came in a spiritual director and I got them back on their feet. And some of it, I can't believe some of the stuff these, these prophets will tell their people because they want to stay in their little office, right? They don't, they don't have it, and they'll they'll shoot down anybody that comes across them that you know is like like I'm eager to do this. Like, well, how dare you say that? I've had somebody tell me something too. They're they're brought with a uh, another deliverance minister, a big person in their church, and they were brought to be backup or something like that. And this one individual had words of wisdom and prophetic reading, and it was dead on for the person they were delivering. And I guess the the deliverance minister, the deliverance minister on the site there, chewed this individual out, saying, how dare you say stuff like that without consulting me first, right? That, that's not operating humility, because this other person was operating their gifting, and she said, you know, right on, that was cool, I'm glad to see you operating prophetic, but they get their hide chapped by stuff you're doing, and it's just basic stuff from hearing God, you know, you know right then, move along, move along. There's a lot in this church right now, so I'm saying that we need a reformation. <laughs> The Reformation needs a Reformation, and particularly operating in the Joel 2 category of the, you know, the Spirit will be poured on the flesh. We need to start looking at that. We need to start looking at um, Reformation in realigning to what Paul was saying with the operation of the gifts. I think we do. So we're not having any spiritual exercises because it was so long. I think in the next last part we will. Um, so we're going to go to a three-parter, right? And I think there'll be enough time after that to do some spiritual exercises. But there's enough here to chew on for you to ponder and to think about as you go through your spiritual development. Go look up some of those. I'll put, I'll put all the stuff in the show notes and you can look at it too. So again, next time we start with Six Mansions, Chapter 1, Part 3. And we will finish off with lines 20 through 27 and a spiritual exercise right on. So if you like this um, 
podcast, please like the click button, you know, or they say on YouTube, the British kids, smash that like button for me, smash the like button. So if you like this, smash the like button <laughs> or just, just tap it lightly. Don't break your mouse. Um, this site is hosted on a field guide to spiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. There is a field guide to spiritual warfare Facebook page where I'm on. You can contact me. If you ever have any questions too, I'm more than happy to put together a podcast to make go more in detail. I've done that last time. It was very received and very interesting. So I'm about anything. Throw me stuff like Mike. What do you think about this? Or you know, I or you know, comment on this video or something I've seen on this. I don't mind doing that because I think this is the best way to get information out to you people and use this. So here we are. And like I said, um, if you want to help us produce more content, I have a lot of stuff I want to produce right now. I need to find a time. It takes time away from family and everything. You can go to PayPal and make a donation to m16ministries at gmail.com. We have books available on spiritual warfare, a field guide to spiritual warfare, advanced guide to spiritual warfare, and we have cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. All good stuff. Go check it out. The website at www.afg2sw.com. afg2sw.com. Good stuff there. And... Until next time, guys. Um, I love you guys. It's amazing. I know this is long. Man, it was like 78 slides worth. Holy smokes. Long as we were put out for St. Teresa of Avalush. So, until next time, guys, from the M16 bunker, we meet again. God bless. Amen.